0: that was
1: cleansed, and he was the one out of the 10 that gave thanks, the Lord said to him, in Luke 17, 19, he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Another blind man in Jericho, Jericho must have had a lot of blind men there. He gives a sight to him, he says in Luke 18, 41, 1842 rather, he says, Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight, thy faith hath made thee whole. See, all these cases They're determined, who's determining it seems like, who's determining whether or not they're gonna be healed? He's telling them, it's your faith, it's your faith. So in all these situations, it was them that determined whether or not they'd be healed, whether or not they'd be made whole, whether or not they'd be saved from their sins. And what we're seeing here with Joseph is that it's Joseph now determining whether or not he's gonna be released from prison because by showing compassion to these two prisoners, He's determining the compassion that he's going to receive from prison. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was meaning in Luke 6.38. In Luke 6.38, the Lord said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So here's Joseph. Big measure of compassion going out. Big measure of compassion is going to come back on him. When Joseph was showing compassion on these two prisoners, he was determining the compassion that he was going to receive that was eventually going to release him from prison. So, wow, when you look at this, you say to yourself, man, how would I like to determine how much I'm going to receive? We can't. That's what the Lord's saying here. But the giving's got to be with the right spirit. It's got to be with the right attitude, you know, Not, well, I gotta give and what a pain it is that I gotta give, oh man. (laughs) So Moses warned Israel about this in Deuteronomy 15.10. In Deuteronomy 15.10, Moses warned the Jewish people, he said, thou shalt surely give him and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thy hand unto. Same thing, same concept, give and it shall be given to you. All right, so we see this happening to Joseph, and we ask ourselves the question, wow, how would I like to determine how much the Lord's gonna bless me and bless my work of my hands and everything I put my hand to? And that's what he said in Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. He gives God a loan. And that which he hath given him will repay him again. Boy, how would you like to make a loan to God? That'd, that'd, That'd be a good bet. It's a good loan. Okay, so Joseph is determining the mercy that's gonna come to him by his mercy that he's showing in his prisoners. It's remarkable by how much good happens to us is dependent on how much good we show to others. And that's what's going on here. Now, we see that Joseph says to these two prisoners, verse seven, he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the Lord's house, wherefore look ye so sadly today? So he asked them a question he really wanted to know. He really cared to know. This was a real sincere question. Not like a person who asks how you're doing and really doesn't listen to your question. How are you today? Oh, fine, I'm so depressed I could jump off a corner on a bridge. Oh, that's great. <laughs> like the person who called my house the other day. Is Cheryl home? I said, no, she died. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much. <laughs> See, Joseph's question was, he was really wanting to know. He was really sincere. And so it shows a great tenderness in Joseph because he really wants to know why are you so anxious why are you so like almost mad with anxiety what is it and what he did when he asked that question is like he reached into his pocket pulled out a key and he just unlocked their hearts because they told him he just unlocked their hearts and what they saw in Joseph's question was the last statement of verse three you see in the last statement of verse three says Joseph was bound Joseph was bound. Now, we know he had shackles, and we know that the shackles, Joseph's shackles, it hurt his feet. We know that from Psalm 105, verse 18. Psalm 105, verse 18 said, his feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in chains of iron. I mean, have you ever had your feet hurt? Oh, that's bad. Yeah. And Joseph, he was intense. You can't think of anything where your feet hurt. You know, intense pain from his hurting feet. They were bound, and so were these two prisoners with him. I mean, this prison was not the Holiday Inn, okay? And so Joseph saw himself as a companion in their problems, as a companion in their problems, or a companion in the tribulation, which is how John saw himself on the island of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. It says there in the chapter, verse 9, Revelation 1, 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation. See, that's how he saw himself. Now, in order for us to be really good soul winners, effective soul winners, we have to see ourselves as companions in tribulation with the lost because we know what it was like to be lost. We know what it was like to be lost, and so there is this, from our past knowledge, a companionship in their tribulation. Joseph, he saw himself as a prisoner along with those two other prisoners and he had been a dreamer too. Joseph had been a dreamer too, so he understood all of this. But when these prisoners saw that Joseph was in pain from his feet and then he asked them in verse seven, wherefore look you so sadly today, they knew that Joseph is not swallowed up with his own painful feet. You know, he hasn't become, his painful feet has not, made him blind to the sorrow of other people. pain and grief. Pain and grief is gonna do one of two things. Either pain and grief is gonna make a person blind to the pain and grief of others, saying I got my own problems, or pain and grief is gonna make a person more tender, more sensitive to the pain and grief of others. It's gonna do one of the two things. And this is what happened to Joseph. His personal pain and grief made him more sensitive to the pain and grief of others. We win when that happens to us. We win when we are in pain and grief and we comfort other people. The Lord Jesus Christ won when his own pain and grief caused him to minister all the more to others which is what we see him doing when he's just been beaten. The Lord Jesus Christ has just been beaten to a pulp and he's carrying his cross up the hill to Calvary where he's gonna be tortured to death. He's so weak, he stumbles under the weight of the cross. He's in so much pain, so much exhaustion, so much grief of his own. And what does he do? We read about it. It's remarkable in Luke 23. Luke 23. Luke 23, 26, Luke 23, 26, it says, as they led him away, they laid upon one Simon, a Cyrenian coming out of the country, and in him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. He couldn't carry it. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, "Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two malefactors led with him to be put to death. He's on his way. He's on his way to suffer the most horrible death of crucifixion. He's got two other thieves with him. And what does he do? He turns to women in the crowd, and he cares for them, he shows care for them. He gets up there to Calvary, they drive the nails through his hands and his feet, and what does he do, what does he do? In Luke 23, 42, Luke 23, 42, when the thief says to him, he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then what happens? In Luke 19, 26, Luke 19, 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. And then what happens? In Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 34. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And then what happened? John nineteen thirty. John nineteen thirty. when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So here he is in the height of his pain, in the height of his grief, in the height of his suffering, and we see him taking care of a dying thief to make sure he gets to heaven today, that day, taking care of where his mother's gonna live, praying for the people that crucified him, that they would be forgiven, and making sure that every aspect of the work for our atonement has been checked off so that he can say, it's finished. I mean, his suffering did not make him become consumed in himself. It didn't blind him to the suffering and the needs of others, just the opposite. And that's why he's described in Hebrews 2.18, Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or come to the aid of them that are tempted. That's just the reason why God allows us to suffer and why God allows us to go through grief so that we can comfort other people, which is what it says in Second Corinthians 1 4. Second Corinthians 1 4 says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort of Wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. It's a terrible thing to have no one who cares for your soul. That is really, really bad, to have no one that cares for your soul. It says in the Psalm, Psalm 142, 4, I looked on my right hand. Behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. You know that Hebrew word for care there? means to ask. It's the word that means to ask. No one asked about my soul. Well, that's what we see Joseph doing here. When he comes in in verse seven, and he says, wherefore, look you so sadly today, he's asking about their soul. He's caring for their soul. By asking about their soul, he was caring for souls. And that's what it means to be a brother's keeper, which Cain refused to do. Obviously, he just killed his brother. But in Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's Keeper, very, very interesting word that Cain used there. Keeper, that's the word shamar in Hebrew, very important. Shamar means to guard, take care of, hedge about. And Cain knew exactly what that word shamar meant because it was the command that God gave to his father, Adam, in Genesis 2.15. In Genesis 2.15, and the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it and to shemar it and to take care of it. So that's the first use of the word shemar in the Bible. Now, just think of it. All the threats that come to a garden. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Insects, strong winds, you know, rain, weather, rabbits, okay? In my case, skunks, okay? All kinds of these animals. Let's see, I, I like to see them in the zoo. I don't wanna see them in my garden, you know? And think of all the care that needs to go into the garden. You gotta hedge it, you gotta weed it, you gotta take care of it. That's the picture of Shemar. That's the picture of Shemar. And that's what Joseph is doing for these two prisoners here. He's caring for them, he's shamaring. That's not a right word, but anyway. Those two prisoners, and that's what God does for Israel. God does that for Israel. That's what he says in Psalm 121, verse 4. Psalm 121 verse, verse four. "Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God shemars Israel. And this is what God told Moses, Moses, I want to put in your mouth the prayer that your brother Aaron, you know, your favorite brother, you know the, never mind that. But anyway, He says, "I want you to put this prayer in his mouth, because he, as the head of the priests, has got to go and bless the Jewish people. And this is what he needs to say in Numbers 6.22, Numbers 6.22. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee, Shamar. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them that's how God wanted Aaron to pray that God would shamar Israel take care of him all right so now these two prisoners now they read in Joseph he's got a real desire to help us so they open up and in verse 8 they said unto him we've dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it and Joseph said unto them do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. So at this point, we see these prisoners say, we've dreamed a dream, we've dreamed a dream. We can clearly see they both dreamed the separate dreams in the same night. They're very moving for them and they wanted to know what it meant. So at this point, we've got two astonished prisoners before us, each of them shocked because they've both been spoken to in the night with different messages. Now, again, that's the details. But now we stand back. Now, we know, there's a bigger picture unfolding here. and We know that all the Jewish people are contained in this family of Jacob. And apart from Joseph, they're all there in Canaan. And they will soon be faced with extinction from the coming famine, starvation, death by star. We know that the salvation of the Jewish people is gonna come through Joseph. And right now, he doesn't look like a savior. He's hopelessly imprisoned in a prison of death. That's Joseph. So at this point, it looks as though Israel's Savior is going to become extinct before Israel becomes extinct. But Joseph's survival, in other words, it's at stake right now. Israel's survival will be at stake soon. And so God's going to save the Jewish people from death. from this coming famine here. And God's going to save the Jewish people through Joseph, who's now at risk of death. And what's remarkable is to see how God is going to save Joseph from death. I mean, God's going to use a series of events to save Joseph, who's going to save the Jewish people. And the series of events go like this. Number one, Pharaoh throws into prison two of his officers, perhaps for some insignificant reasons. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Number two, Joseph is put in charge of these two officers. Number three, both these officers had alarming dreams in one night. Number four, both of these officers discussed their dreams with each other. Number five, both of these officers went into a terrible anxiety over their dreams. And number six, Joseph observes this terrible anxiety and he asks them why they are this way and they tell him. Number seven, he offers, Joseph offers to interpret their dreams and they accept. And then number eight, Joseph interprets the dreams. That's a series of events. That's a series of, that's an amazing series of eight events that God's gonna use to bring about the deliverance and the salvation of the Jewish people from death by famine. And those are the eight events that God is using to keep the Jewish people from becoming a monument of white bones bleached in the desert of Canaan. So it shows us just how much God wants to save Israel from annihilation, and God has a thousand ways available for him to save the Jewish people. But these are the eight, the eight events that he chose And what's so amazing to us is when we look at these eight events is that all this happened in Egypt. In Egypt, what is Egypt? Egypt is a land, is a country that is devoted to idolatry. Egypt is a country that has purposed to free itself from the rule of the true God, from the control of the true God. Our country today has put prayer out of the schools, has put prayer out of courts, has clung to sexual perversion. And therefore our country is in some ways just like Egypt, trying to free itself, trying to emancipate itself from the rule of the true God. Now in this chapter, as we're looking at this, these events here, and also in the book of Exodus, is that Egypt cannot free itself from the rule and the control of the true God. No country can free itself from the rule of of the true God. And when any person or any country tries to free themselves from the control and the rule of God, God has two responses. His first response is a question, and his second response is a laughter. In Psalm two, verse one, Psalm two, verse one, he asks the question, why do the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, that's like purpose, And rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Countries today, the world today, they exercise what's called the wisdom of this world. And in their wisdom of this world, They feel that they finally have freed themselves from what Marx called religion as the opiate of the people. And so they have, there is a scientific wisdom of this world. And it's concluded that the earth is not several thousand years old, as the Bible says, but the earth is now billions of years old. That's an indisputable conclusion with them. And that all things in the world, they came about, they just evolved on their own just evolved on their own. And God wasn't involved at all. That's the wisdom of this world. That's the scientific wisdom of this world. And it took a while, but finally through the Charles Darwins and the Richard Dawkins of the world, they finally generated this wisdom of this world, the scientific wisdom of this world has finally freed itself from the bondage of God as the creator. That's what's behind all this. And God says about this wisdom of the world in 1 Corinthians one twenty, God made foolish the wisdom of the world. And in 2 Corinthians one twenty one, seeing that in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom knew not God. It was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of preaching, he might say to them that believe. And in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Now, These prisoners now make a very important confession, very important confession, when they said in verse eight, they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it. Literally, in the Hebrew, the word ain is used. And so it goes, we have dreamed dreams and to interpret ain, interpret, there's no one. There's not one, there's no one. And this is such a sad statement when we read this they were probably thinking of uh, the dream interpreters in Egypt. He says, you know, there's none of them that are making rounds down here in the prison, so we're a real problem. And those were just deceivers that misled the people into idolatry. But when we read this statement, we have dream to dream, there's no interpreter, that's very sad. And that makes us think about how different it really is for us, how different it really is for us. Because we have this promise, we have the statements in John 7, 38, in John seven thirty eight, it says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, Call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.